I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be filled. When's the last time you were really hungry? Now, my children, they, they claim that they're starving just about every day, around about 4 o'clock. And uh, if they were to be believed, then they have the fastest metabolisms on the face of the earth. But you and I know what it's like to be truly hungry, to need sustenance. You get a little shaky, uh, maybe a little bit difficult to concentrate, and you know your body's giving you these signs. You know that you need to feed your body. Well, so too, our souls are in need of sustenance. We absolutely require spiritual nourishment. And a lot of times we deprive our bodies of that spiritual nourishment that we need uh, a little bit longer than we should. Maybe we, uh, maybe we think we don't have time for it. We're just too busy. Our schedule is too packed to spend that time in prayer or to attend uh, any Mass other than that required Mass on Sunday. Whatever the case is, we find ourselves uh, really giving our spirits the bare minimum. And while it is good, it keeps us alive, it sustains us, we don't thrive when we don't eat. The same is true in the spiritual as it is in the physical. If we don't feed our bodies, we don't have energy. Can't get up, can't go to uh, work out in the yard or do the things that I really need to do to exert that energy that I need to make it through my day if I don't provide my body with calories. In the same way, if I don't provide my spirit with nourishment, I'm out of energy. Uh, I very quickly will run out of uh, attention span when it comes time to pray or I'll get very quickly distracted or discouraged when I don't hear an answer from God. I need to feed my body. This last week, we've done a lot of physical exertion in my household. We've uh, packed up our house and moved and unloaded in another house, and we are now closer to the parish. Uh, we used to have about a 30, 35-minute drive to get to Mass, and we would go on Sunday, and we, we had a, our adoration hour, uh, and we had that experience. But for the most part, it was a, a trek to make it into Mass. And now we've got about, a, oh, maybe a five-minute drive, and I've been going to daily Mass. And I have to tell you, there is a certain uh, refreshment, new wave of energy by that daily nourishment of my soul. And, you know, I, I know that I benefit from it, but somehow uh, it's easy once you get out of the practice to, to forget of the benefits or to say it's too hard or to say, uh, you know, there's too much else on my plate to do this. And yet the spiritual benefit is there and it's waiting for me if I would but avail myself of it. If I would go and receive the meal, uh, the feast, really, that is being provided for me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so uh, this week during daily Mass, 
we've heard the bread of life discourse. This is that passage out of the book of John, John 6, where Jesus has just now finished multiplying uh, the, the bread, right? He's gone out and he has provided for everyone uh, bread in abundance. And they see, ah, here's a new Moses, right? The, there is a promise in the Old Testament that there would be another prophet like unto Moses. And so here we have it. Uh, he's given us bread from heaven. We're so excited. We're going to follow him in droves. And so they follow him. And he comes and says, oh, you're still following me? You're still looking for me? You, you, you must want more bread. But remember, those ancestors of yours followed Moses in the desert, and he fed them with bread from heaven. But they ate that bread, and they died. But the bread that I will give you, he says to them, uh, the bread that I will give you is true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, ooh, this is a good idea. I like this. I, I want that life. Uh, so give us this bread always, they said. And then he turns the tables on them. I am the bread of life, he says. And then he goes into this beautiful explanation, this beautiful treatise that we hold to very dearly uh, as this institution, this, de this description of what the Eucharist will be. Uh, the bread that I give is my flesh for the life of the world. They weren't quite so sure about that. There were very specific beliefs about whether or not you could eat flesh. And this seemed a little creepy to them. It seemed a little out of the ordinary. And yet, today we have this offer of nourishment from Christ who says, I will be your nourishment. Christ who took on our nature offers us his nature through the Eucharist. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be speaking with Mark Shea. He's going to come and join us in studio. Uh, he's got a, a wonderful book he wrote several years ago called This Is My Body, An Evangelical Discovers the Real Presence. And this was something that was very significant even in my own journey, this idea that communion is not just a commemoration, but that it is a representation of that one single sacrifice, that we participate in the cross in that mystery, this paschal mystery of the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through these mere physical elements, Christ bestows on us all the grace of the cross feeds us with his presence and gives us his nature. We're going to have a fantastic discussion right after this. Don't go anywhere unless you go over to social media. Join us over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk to me about your experience of the Eucharist. Share your insights. Ask your questions. But don't go anywhere because we'll be right back Right after this, you're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Coming to you very special today from a hidden location on the coast of the Puget Sound, joined in studio by the one, the only, Mark Shea. Mark, thanks for being with us today. Hey, happy to be here. So you uh, you wrote the book on the real presence, or a book I on wrote, the real presence. Yes, just a book, and a pretty thin book at that. <laughs> <laughs> so during this Eastertide, we're talking about um, about the Mass and, and the Eucharist, because throughout the Mass, throughout the year, we are, as we say in the, the, the mystery of faith, proclaiming the, the passion and death and resurrection of Christ until he comes again. Right. So we're participating in that, uh, in that, that Holy Week experience all year long. Right. And, and in, in some sense, this is what we mean when we say or we hear the phrase, we are an Easter people. Because while Easter is 50 days, it's also for us a, a daily reality. Right, and an eternal one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're so we're in the middle of uh, the Easter season right now. We had forty days of Lent. We'll get fifty days of Easter, and the readings right now are from the Gospel of John uh, and from uh, John chapter six mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, and that's not an accident that the church would choose those readings for the Easter season mm-hmm. uh, because this is. Uh, this is the chapter that is talking about the Easter reality and the ongoing presence of Christ mm-hmm. with his church, especially through the Eucharist. Would it be, would it be uh, maybe a little too forward to say that this John 6 uh, passage, this, uh, the bread of life discourse, as it's commonly called, right. uh, is the central mystery of the church? Uh, well, certainly the church calls the Eucharist the source and summit of our faith. So, you know, when we speak of the Eucharist, we're talking about Jesus fully present with us. Uh, and so, yeah, it is the central mystery of the faith. Uh, you know, to get away from the Gospel of John for a minute, when, when you go to, for example, the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke bookends his Gospel with the Eucharist. Uh, so it begins with this infancy narrative that uh, shows us Jesus being placed in a manger. That's a detail that we only get from Luke, and the reason that he includes that detail uh, is because he he's not thinking to himself, "This is going to really look great on a Hallmark card in you know two thousand years at Christmas time." These adorable pictures of Jesus in a manger. The reason he includes that detail is because a manger is a feed box. Right. That's where you put grain for animals to eat. And it, so it's a Eucharistic reference uh, that he wants us to see. Well, not only, I mean, certainly there's that Eucharistic aspect of it, but there's also the idea that here is the divine coming to us in a way that we don't expect the divine. Right. And how much crazier is it for us to say, okay, you know, people say, oh, the, the, the Eucharist, the bread and the wine, they don't look like Jesus and they don't taste like body and blood. And at the right. same time, the Christ child himself does not look like uh, what we expect the divine <laughs> the to look like. The conquering Davidic monarch? Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so so if, if God can present himself and can fully embody humanity, right. uh, then why is it so much further of a stretch for us to to come to gris, to grasp this idea that that the divine now inhabits not just our human nature but 
now inhabits this bread and this wine consecrated to to, right. to nourish us uh, physically and spiritually. It's the it's the idea of the extension of the incarnation. This is the this is the central insight uh, that made me a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember it distinctly. I was taking a shower, as a matter of fact. I was stepping out of the shower, mm-hmm. and it hit me. Well, if God can come to us through that piece of matter called the body of Christ, why can't he do the same thing uh, under the forms of bread and wine? What, you know, and it, I realized yet again, uh, you know, that the, the truth of, uh, the, there's a paraphrase of the, the Harvard law of animal behavior for uh, laboratory animals uh, states that uh, laboratory animals under carefully controlled laboratory conditions will do whatever they want. (laughs) And uh, God is the same way. Under carefully controlled (laughs) laboratory conditions, God could do whatever he wants. And so who am I to, you know, stand before God and say, well, Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's dignified for for you to come to us uh, in the form of bread and wine because Jesus has said, well, tough. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't care what you think. <laughs> and and in our gospel readings during the daily masses, which I want to get to in a second, uh, but we're we're getting this idea that Jesus is pretty uh, set on this this instance. And right. even when even when people turn away and leave, right. he persists. This this is my body. He right. says. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, we we you'll often hear it's. I, this is one of the sort of the standard tropes that I heard as an evangelical was well, uh, you know, Jesus said he was a door, but that doesn't mean we look for a doorknob on him. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the thing is, is that you know what? A nobody took him literally when he said I am the door because they're not 2,000 years stupider than we are they understood that he was using metaphorical language here Uh, when he said uh, that I am the bread of life this bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world and unless you eat that flesh unless you eat this flesh and drink this blood drink this blood you have no life in you Uh, his, certainly his disciples, even his apostles who stayed with him, didn't understand him. But uh, what they did understand was that in some way he wasn't speaking symbolically. That's why people got offended well, I, and left. Well, I, I love uh, Peter's response. So Jesus asks, the, the people leave and Jesus turns to Peter and says, do you want to leave too? Right. And Peter doesn't answer that question. Right. He doesn't answer whether he wants to leave. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where do we go? You have the words of life. So yeah. it's not a, maybe he very much wanted to leave, but he recognized something beyond that. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that, uh, as an evangelical that I realized was that there are two moments in the gospel where Jesus says something that is so weird that the <laughs> apostles are baffled by it and struggle with it right. uh, above all, these two moments. One of them is this one where he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And most of his followers leave at that time. And he doesn't run after them saying, 
I was just speaking in a parable. Come back, you right. know. There's another moment where he does this, and in fact, three moments where he does this, uh, uh, does another thing that's very similar to that. Uh, at three different times, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be uh, betrayed, handed over to the Gentiles. Uh, they will uh, beat him, mock him, right. put him to death, and on the third day he will rise again. And on all three of those occasions, the apostles go, what does he really mean by that? <laughs> there must be some, he can't be speaking literally. Yeah. That can't, that, you know, so they're baffled by that. Uh, Peter comes the closest to kind of understanding him uh, and says, well, that must never happen then. Right. Uh, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. And so you got these, these two similar moments, one where, Jesus talks about the, the real presence in the Eucharist, right. and one where he talks about his death and resurrection. Uh, and then uh, those moments come together at the Last Supper mm -hmm. where Jesus says, take this, all of you, and eat it. Uh, this is my body. This is my blood. In other words, th th this is a sacrificial offering because that's what happens when you separate body and blood in the Jewish tradition, what are you doing? Well, you're cutting the throat of a cattle, sheep, or goat right. and offering it in sacrifice. That's what the separation of body and blood is all about. He says, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body. Take this, all of you, and drink it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant. So what did the apostles make of that on Holy Thursday before the sacrifice was offered? Well, it was C.S. Lewis who said, uh, you know, the words were take, eat, not take, understand. Right. And so the apostles at the moment, we don't have a clue what they thought of that at the moment. But over the next three days, they had a very sharp learning curve about how literal Jesus could be right. uh, about things like, I'm going to be killed. Well, and it's and interesting, you have the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right. and, and they immediately, upon the breaking of the bread, all that flooded back into their minds, and they made that connection. Right. They understood it as being that sacrifice. Right, and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread, and that's Luke's other book in. So we start with the moment in Bethlehem, house of bread is what right. Bethlehem means, and then uh, the other book in is that Eucharistic moment. A priest friend of mine said, you know, if Peter walked into a modern Catholic church, he would recognize virtually nothing about a, a modern Catholic church. Uh, but what he would recognize is the gesture of the consecration of the host. Yeah, That's what he, he would say, I've seen that before. Right. Uh, because that's what he saw Jesus do, and that's what he himself would spend the rest of his life doing. Uh, and so when we read the Bread of Life Discourse, the Bread of Life Discourse is, uh, John doesn't have a consecration narrative right. in his gospel. Right, he's got the washing of the feet instead. He's got the washing of the feet instead, and he has the high priestly prayer, which is a prayer of consecration right. for the priesthood that will then 
offer the Eucharist, right. but we don't have uh, the story of the consecration of the Eucharist. Why? Because John knows that there are three other Gospels that have already been written right. that tell that story, and he doesn't need to uh, reinvent the wheel there. So what's he doing instead? Well, in the Bread of Life discourse, he's talking to a community that has already been in, in existence for about 60 years mm -hmm. and has been celebrating the Eucharist. And so what's he doing? He's talking about the meaning of what they've been doing right. for the last 60 years. What is this? So, you know, people look at that and, and, and they want to know what John is up to. Well, what John is up to is speaking to a church that has already been celebrating the Eucharist for 60 right. years. And uh, he's talking to them about this interior meaning right. of the Eucharist and, and what it is. We're talking today with Mark Shea. He's got a book called This Is My Body, an Evangelical Discovers the Real Presence. You can get to it by going to mark-shea.com forward slash books.html. Please go take a look at it. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break as we talk about the Mass here in the season of Easter, about the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk to me about one of your early experiences with the Eucharist. If you're a convert, what was your first Mass like? If you are a cradle Catholic, talk to me about the day that you first got a glimpse of what it means to receive Christ fully, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and nothing is more foundational to the faith than the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can have uh, all kinds of experiences with Christ, with God. You can have all kinds of belief about Christ and about God, but it's in that communion with God that we receive through the Eucharist, where we uh, are uh, be become sharers in the divine nature, where we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ into our bodies, and that presence of Christ transforms us and makes us more like Christ to become sharers in that divine nature. That's the central mystery of Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's the most important thing that, that we can do. And so there are implications, as we say on the show all the time, there are foundations to our faith that if we truly grasp them and understand them, are going to have implications for the rest of our life, for, uh, for the way we go to the store, the way we interact with the person who cut us off in traffic. There are implications to our belief, specifically as we are now receivers not only of, of the Word of God, but now we are receiving into ourselves not just the products that God has created, not just the creation of God, but the very life of God into us. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark, uh, you're a convert. Yep. I'm a convert. And I remember I've been to Mass a few times um, in the 10-year journey as I came toward closer to the church, mostly as I visited my cousin. But I got to this place where I was becoming more convinced that the church was right on a number of things. Uh, and my wife and I started in secret attending 
vigil mass. We did that for eight months, and I still worked at the Methodist Church. Got up on Sunday morning, <laughs> ran three services. Um, but I remember going to the funeral mass of a friend who was very influential uh, in helping me come to the church. And I, I sat there, and I listened to the music, having been a music director at another church. And I, I, uh, people talk about these sublime experiences they have with the mass and how it draws them in. And I'm sitting here listening to the homily, listening to the readings, listening to the music and going, oh, God, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can do this every uh-huh. week every, for the rest of my life. Is this, it's a, kind of that cold feet moment of may, maybe I'm really not thinking that this is. Right. Uh, and, and eventually now on the other side of it, I can look at it and say, oh, but what riches I have through, uh, the, through the sustenance, through the nourishment of right. the Eucharist. Yeah. Uh, but gosh, I had that moment of, of kind of pure panic. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, what was your conversion like? Did you have any of those struggling moments with the liturgy of the mass or with I, the experience? N- not with that. No, okay. um, I I came into the church in the Archdiocese of Seattle in the mid nineteen eighties. Mm-hmm. Probably the most screwed up place in the American church, <laughs> uh, and I really loved that. I, I appreciated the fact that the church was full of screwed up people because. I, I come out of, first of all, not raised Christian, mm-hmm. then became a believer, but in the context of kind of non-denominational evangelicalism. Yeah. And w- what that sector of the church tends toward is a kind of Darwinian sectarianism. Uh, so we're, you know, we're the most recent iteration of the church, the most pure, and I'm not so sure about you. Yeah, we're here because we have survived. survived right, right. Fittest. And so uh, the the church, the Catholic Church, in contrast, says every loser is welcome here, and you don't have to be perfect. And and we live that out by, in fact, being profoundly imperfect. People ask me if I believe in organized religion, and I say, no, I'm a Catholic. Right. Uh, and so I, when I came into the church, I was really grateful. Oddly, for the fact that the church was so screwed up, because I was screwed up, mm-hmm. uh, and so it, I didn't have any problems with, with that. Uh, so bad liturgy, terrible music. Okay, I don't care. You know, it's it, kind of like what Chesterton said when they said, "What's wrong with the world?" Me. And he said, "I, am. <laughs> I am." And so, uh, but you know, there were, of course, and I think I have a theory. I don't. Uh, it's it's been 100% confirmed by every convert I've ever known, but I could there still could be people out there who don't fit the pattern. Right. But it seems to me that everybody that uh, comes into the church as a convert mm-hmm. has at least one moment, possibly more, I certainly did, where something about the church uh, is just a, a real roadblock. Uh, so it could be, you know, the priest scandal or, you know, for me, it was the church's treatment of the Jews, uh, in, in, you know, in history. Uh, and I really had to struggle with that and say, is this a reason not to be Catholic or is this just, you know, the sins of the members of the body of Christ that I certainly share in? So if, you know, if the uh, if if I, being what I am, can consider myself in some sense a Christian, then why can't 
those other people too, you know. Right. And that's not to deny uh, the fact of their sin or the fact of my sin. But is that a reason not to be Catholic? And so uh, there was that, but at the same time, of course, there was the real experience of grace. And, uh, and the, uh, the truth about what the Eucharist is. Right. Because if, um, if this really is Christ giving us the fullness of himself, uh, not 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 dead body and dead blood, but the full life of God, body, blood, soul, and divinity given to us in the smallest particle of the Eucharist. Right. Then, and and that's the only way to get that kind of fullness of God. Mm-hmm. Then what could separate me from that? I right. Mean, th- Why th- would I turn away from that? There's such a magnetism there. It really, uh, with all of those other things, we get back to Peter's answer to that question after the bread of life discourse. Right. Well, I, maybe I do want to go somewhere else, Jesus, but but to whom shall I go? I mean, right. sure, this is uncomfortable. Sure, I've got to knock off some edges of what I thought I knew, but there's really nothing else if the Eucharist is what what we believe it to be. Right. Is, is this you? Well, then I want you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's that, that quote from uh, Aquinas, uh, nothing but you, Lord. Right. Now, uh, there, there is nothing. All the other vanities that we have, all the other entertainment that we have, any other kind of pleasure that we could, could have in life, if we really thought about what it means for God to come, uh, as, as a friend of mine says, first God condescended and he became man. God became man. He took on human nature. Right. And then he humbled himself even further and became our food right. uh, to nourish, uh, to, to nourish our bodies, but to nourish our souls in, in a way that right. we can appropriate. Thomas says that uh, what food does for the body, the Eucharist does for the soul. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis uh, uh, in mere Christianity remarks that, you know, for, Thousands of years, people ate their dinners and felt better afterwards, and they didn't know what proteins and vitamins were. They just ate their dinners, and it helped. And then somebody came along and discovered vitamins. Right. And so now, you know, we can say vitamins, protein, that's what's happening. And he says, if tomorrow somebody discovers that there's no such thing as vitamins and proteins have nothing to do with it, it won't make any difference to the fact that we still go on eating our dinners. And so understanding the Eucharist is nice if you, <laughs> ha- you although, come on, understanding the Eucharist. I remember hearing Frankie Schaefer, he's an Orthodox convert, yeah. talking about when he was taking instruction to become Orthodox. And the priest was explaining that in the Eastern Church, they commune uh, infants. They, the babies are baptized, confirmed, right. and given Eucharist all at once. And he said to the priest, well, why do you do that? Babies don't even understand what the Eucharist is. And the priest looked at him and said, do you? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that's true. So the great thing about being Catholic is you can, if you want, study St. Thomas's doctrine of transubstantiation. But if you don't ever know what that means who cares and we've brought this up a couple of times in the last two weeks even saint thomas at the end of his life does uh, came to the realization that he did not understand nearly as much as he thought (laughs) yeah and and so you know that's 
part of the glory of the faith is that, uh, you know, God is an infinitely expanding space and your head will never occupy <laughs> all of him. Uh, you know, so we're talking about this connection between, um, between the Eucharist and, and nourishment of, with other food. Uh, and unless you are just like a hardcore intermittent fasting kind of person, you eat uh, at least once a day. Right. Right. And we, we think of mass very often as, oh, that's a Sunday thing that I go and do. I go, if, if the weather's bad, you know, if, mm-hmm. I, if I'm not going to go out to the lake, I'm going to go and I'm going to receive the Eucharist. Uh, and yet the Eucharist is available to us every day of the year. And mass is available every day except for Good Friday. Good Friday. Yeah. Uh, and, and Holy Saturday, except we've got that anticipatory mass of the vigil. Uh, right. We, we have access to the Eucharist somewhere every single day. And yet I, I think that often we, we uh, kind of relegate ourselves to that lowest common denominator. Well, I'm busy. I'm going to make it to mass. I'm going to make it to that day of obligation. Uh, and yet there is so much richness, not only through the reception of the Eucharist and, and through that sustaining us, that being that kind of viaticum, that, that strength for the journey. Right. But there's also the liturgy of the word every day of the year, right. Uh, which right now we're during the, the weekday, we're hearing that bread of life discourse laid right. out for us. And, and we have that opportunity. Right. Yeah, I, I think one of the tragedies of um, the approach of of so many of us to uh-huh. the Eucharist is uh, we think of it as something we have to do rather than something that we get to do, mm-hmm. uh, and we approach the moral life that way. Right. Uh, you know, what wh- what's the very least that I can get away with? Well, if you if you run into the bride on her wedding day. Mm-hmm. And her principal question to the priest is, how often do I have to kiss him? <laughs> uh, there's trouble, you know, <laughs> yeah. with that relationship. And, and so uh, cultivating the reality that, that, this, that the mass is something that we get to do, mm-hmm. that uh, this, is a, this is a chance to meet with Jesus. Right. Uh, and really placing him at the center rather than the concept of some kind of legal obligation. Well, and, and this is a true self-gift that can be both uh, bi-directional, that Christ is giving the fullness of himself to us in the Eucharist, right. and we are giving the fullness of ourself over to Christ and his will for our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and as we do that, you know, Jesus tells us, if you seek first the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. everything else will be added as well. Now... Having said it in that way, uh, even that can be a dangerous. That can be dangerously un- misunderstood right. as a kind of transactional approach. Right. Well, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God, so I can get the stuff that really matters to me. Well, if you're doing that, you're not really seeking first the kingdom right. of God. Seek first that kingdom of God, and then the things that that are important, but they're going to be provided be because care. God cares for His people. Right like G.K. Chesterton said, make your religion more of a love affair and less of a theory. Yes, exactly. We've been talking today with Mark Shea. Go check out his book, This Is My Body, over at mark-shea.com forward slash books.html. Take a look at it. Well worth your time. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we've been talking about the Eucharist, the Bread of Life discourse out of John 6. Had a great conversation with Mark Shea. He's the author of uh, a book wrote several years ago called This Is My Body, An Evangelical Discovers the Real Presence. You can get to that by going to mark-shea.com. Click on that book section and find all of his books. If you missed any part of the discussion or you want to share it with your friends, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. It'll be right up there at the top just as soon as the episode finishes airing. But there's also more to our conversation that didn't make it into the episode. That's available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Uh, At a $5 a month level, you get access to all the extra content, all the extra segments that we record each week. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and see what's available. Join the numbers of those who support the show and get cool stuff in the process. Well, today we've been talking about the Bread of Life discourse. And uh, anytime that you read a passage of Scripture, it's, it's a good idea to go back and see what precedes it. What's going on in this passage? Uh, because Scripture, the, the little verse numbers and the chapter numbers, that's added after the fact. The original author didn't put it in there. And so a lot of times, this is just one free-flowing story. And so here the Bread of Life Discourse in John 6, we see that Jesus has just now multiplied the bread and the loaves. You know the story, right? Uh, Jesus had a few loaves and a few fish, and he blessed them and told the disciples to hand it out. And all of a sudden, this whole huge crowd that had been following Jesus uh, had their appetites satiated. And so the next day, you know, as people are wont to do, they get hungry again. And they go looking for him, and they can't find him. And he's no longer in the place where he was. He's walked on the water across the sea, and now he's in another location. And so the people are left kind of scratching their heads, and they're like, wait a second, how how did you get here? And Jesus knows them, and he says, I say to you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate loaves and we're filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life. So in a sense, as, you, you know, as you're reading this, as you're reading John 6, you get the idea that the whole loaves and fishes was a plant, right? God's setting these people up to hear a great spiritual truth. And we, we marvel at the, the multiplication of the loaves just as much as they did, and it's just as easy for us to miss what he's saying. Yes, God provides for all of our needs just as he did for them. He feeds us and takes care of us as we need, absolutely, just as he did for them. But there's a greater fulfillment that God wants to give us, a nourishment not for our bodies but for our spirits, one that doesn't pass away but one that leads into eternal life. And how quickly we can miss that, how quickly we look for God to provide for us financially or for health or for whatever else we're praying for at a given time, and we miss the fact that, yes, God wants to take care of us and he will provide for our needs, but those needs very often our spiritual needs more than the physical needs because all this physical stuff, it's going to pass away. Maybe, you know, I, I need housing. I, I need shelter. But eventually, uh, shelter is going to, to deteriorate and I'm going to need something else again. There's a continuation of that need. And yet, the need of my soul can be met in perpetuity by the grace of God. 
And so here he says to them that very famous passage, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and mother? How can he say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop murmuring among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught by God. And everyone who listens to my Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the Father sent me and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. These things he said while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Then many of his disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the ones who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. As a result of this, Many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Then Jesus said to the, the twelve, Do you also want to leave? And Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. That's a portion of the Bread of Life discourse that's found in the book of John, chapter 6. Our reading from church history today comes from a sermon by St. Gaudentius of Brescia. The heavenly sacrifice instituted by Christ is the most gracious legacy of his new covenant. On the night he was delivered up to be crucified, he left us this gift as a pledge of his abiding presence. This sacrifice is our sustenance on life's journey. By it, we are nourished and supported along the road of life until we depart from this world and make our way to the Lord. For this reason, he addressed these words to us, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life in you. It was the Lord's will that his gifts should remain with us and that we who have been redeemed by his precious blood 
should constantly be sanctified according to the pattern of his own passion. And so he commanded those faithful disciples of his, whom he made the first priests of his church, to enact these mysteries of eternal life continuously. All priests throughout the churches of the world must celebrate these mysteries until Christ comes again from heaven. Therefore, let us all, priests and people alike, be faithful to this everlasting memorial of our redemption. Daily, it is before our eyes as a representation of the passion of Christ. We hold it in our hands, we receive it in our mouths, and we accept it in our hearts. It is appropriate that we should receive the body of Christ in the form of bread because, as there are many grains of wheat in the flour from which the bread is made by mixing it with water and baking it with fire, so also we know that the many members make up the one body of Christ, which is brought to maturity by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Christ was born of the Holy Spirit, and since it was fitting that he should fulfill all justice, he entered into the waters of baptism to sanctify them. When he left the Jordan, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, who had descended upon him in the form of a dove. As the evangelist tells us, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Similarly, the wine of Christ's blood, drawn from the many grapes of the vineyard that he had planted, is extracted in the winepress of the cross. When men receive it with believing hearts like capacious wineskins, it ferments within them by its own power. And so, now that you have escaped from the power of Egypt and of Pharaoh, who is the devil, join with us, all of you, in receiving this sacrifice of the saving Passover with the eagerness of dedicated hearts. Then, in our inmost being, we shall be wholly sanctified by the very Lord Jesus Christ, whom we believe to be present in his sacraments and whose boundless power abides forever. That reading comes from a sermon by St. Gaudentius of Brescia, and he issues a challenge in there that you might not have caught, but I'm going to bring it out to you, and I want to challenge you with it. He reminds us that Mass is offered to us daily. This week, why don't you try and make at least one daily Mass, one Mass out of the ordinary, one extra day than you already are participating in, where you approach the nourishment of the Eucharist and feed your soul with the greatest of fear, with Christ himself who gives us life. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Christy Burmeister and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Get access to all kinds of extra content, including an extra segment with Mark Shea today. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.